Thanks, Jason. Um, you know, I know you guys love to hear me preach all the time and yell at you and talk and do stuff, so that's great. But, you know, this guy, he's just getting rusty in Harris, over at Henderson, sitting in his office all day, cutting coupons and different things like that. So I told him, hey, I know you're, you're struggling. Hurricane Matthew came by. You didn't have power for, like, whatever, 90 hours and all this stuff. So I said, you know what, I'll do you a solid. How about you come and preach downtown, and, you know, I'll give you an easy topic. I know you're kind of rusty, but... Um, just kidding. Uh, we have a phenomenal speaker today. Dave Allgaier uh, is coming out. Yeah, go ahead. Come on out, Dave. Um, welcome him. He's going to continue our series on Daniel. He's going to be preaching on Daniel too. So just, it's, he might be lost. He's old. Dave. <laughs> oh, the music stand. Thank you for the great introduction. <laughs> Thank you for uh, helping me out with the music stand, taking care of me. I'm, think, I'm, I'm not sure if that's on purpose, whatever. It's all good. So, okay, take out your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 2. Uh, uh, great to meet you. Um, if I don't know you, my name's David Allgaier. I'm one of the pastors uh, with the church, and I've been involved in late church for 12 years. So, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, you're going to need to kind of follow along a little bit. I'm going to read a lot of the text. We're going to go over the entire chapter, but this whole chapter is about prophecy, okay? For some people, they love that. They're like, oh, yeah, prophecy, prophecy. Prophecy isn't just about foretelling events about the future, although a lot of it is. A lot of prophecy is about foretelling future events. A pretty big portion of prophecy, who knows what it is, 70, 75% is about God sending his prophets to call his people back to what they should be doing now. But another big portion of prophecy is foretelling future events. And that's what we have today. Daniel chapter 2 is a famous prophecy. The entire chapter is about a prophecy. Entire book of Daniel, a lot of the content is prophecy, foretelling future <clears throat> events. Now, why even give prophecy? Why does God have so much prophecy? Not in just this book, but other books of the Bible where he foretells what is going to happen. <clears throat> well, think about it. When you know what's going to happen, that dramatically affects what you do now. Or it should, right? It should dramatically affect what you do now. So think about this from a uh, kind of a worldly way first, and we'll get into kind of why God does it. Um, if you could go back in time 20 years, and you knew what was going to happen in 20 years, and you had a little bit of money. Let's say you had 50 grand, okay? What would you do with that money? I'll give you a couple choices. Would you A, invest it all in Circuit City? Remember Circuit City? You guys remember Circuit? Would you? Man, that's cool. A tech store. I'm going to put this 50 grand in Circuit. No, because you know 20 years later there isn't such thing as Circuit City. As far as I know, maybe there is in some country far away that stole the name, but there's no more Circuit City. It's gone. Um, uh, if you don't know what that is, it used to be just like, you know, Best Buy, but it's gone. Or would you be, you got 50 grand, would you, and this is what you would do, you would get in your car, drive to Harvard University, and you'd find this guy named Mark Zuckerberg. And then you would say to Mark Zuckerberg, hey, listen, if you ever, I got 50 grand here, I'm going to make you a, a really great offer, okay? Yes, it's better for you than it is for me, but I just feel like doing something nice for you, Mark. Um, one day... If you design a website 
and you got to sign all the paperwork here, Mark. But if it if the name of the website rhymes with Mace Nook, okay, then you owe me 10% of that company. I'm going to give you 50 grand to sign that agreement, right? You would do it. You would like you would find a way to make an investment in a company that is now crazy enough supposedly worth $400 billion, that would give you $40 billion just by getting 10%. You would adjust what you did in the present if you knew what was going to happen. Really simple, really clear. Everybody's had that fantasy too, right? Everybody in the room is like, wow, we should go back 20 years and you know, invest in Facebook or whatever. So, so it would change what you invested your resources in. It would change a lot of the decisions you would make, it would change quite a bit to know what was going to happen. Well, prophecy is very simple to understand in that way. It, it, and there's complexities to prophecy, and there's some cloudiness to it, but the purpose for, purpose for prophecy is really simple. It tells us, God tells us about future events so that we will know what to invest in, in the present, and what to rest in. Now think about how we all owe everything. We all owe our peace and our lives to the reality that God has told us what is going to happen. If God had not told us, here's how you spend eternity in heaven by putting your faith in Christ so your sins are forgiven, we would not have something to rest in. Resting means what you put your your hope in, your confidence in, where you find your peace. If God hadn't told us, hey, here's how you get to heaven so that when you die, you don't have to have fear right now because you are saved. We wouldn't know if God didn't tell us, hey, you know, uh, in the scriptures. We take it for granted, the reality that God has told us that, you know, this life is really short. Everybody knows that, but this life doesn't end. Everybody spends forever somewhere. So eternity happens. Life is really short. Eternity is forever. We, we, would we take that for granted that God has communicated to us in advance those realities so that we know not just what to rest in, but what to invest in. Kind of dumb to spend all your resources only on yourself if God rewards us in eternity based on how we use our resources in this life, right? So because of prophecy, we know what to invest in and what to rest in. And so... So we're in a book of the Bible. We're doing this, this series on Daniel that has tons and tons of prophecy. We're in Daniel chapter 2. Now, let me give you some context, okay? You got your Bible open. Get your note sheet out. Okay, look at this map. I'm going to try to do this briefly. I know that Grant talked about this a little bit a couple weeks ago. So let me, let me just give you, give you several facts about this time period and not expect anybody to remember, but that's okay. You have the map, you can go back and review. Here's what happened. Even when I teach college courses, students, the history students I teach, they, they struggle remembering all this. That's okay. Um, so this is the time period in Israel's history called the exile because they are living in a foreign country. They were deported. They, these, these, these nations came in and took them out of their homes and, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, and, and made them, force them to live in other countries, okay? There's a lot of political reasons for that, economic reasons for it, but here's how it happened, okay? Israel was a single nation, then they, divide, they, had, a, they had a civil dispute, they divided into two nations, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. That was like 944 B.C., and the Assyrians, okay, you see the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Here's what you need to know about this region. That's the region on the upper left of Turkey. 
And then, and then you have Syria, you have Lebanon, Syria, Iran to the far right, and Iraq, Saudi Arabia down here. That whole region, okay, that's where these empires began. Assyria, Babylon, and the Persians. Remember the movie 300, the Persians? Okay, and it happened in this order. It happened in Babylon, uh, or Syria. Babylonia took over Syria. They destroyed Assyria, but the Persians destroyed Babylon. So Assyria came down in the 700s, and I put, I think I, well, you see the map. They destroyed Israel in the north, but they never were able to destroy Judah. But then the Babylonians destroyed Assyria, and it's the Babylonians that came in and then destroyed Judah in the south and Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And then later the Persians destroyed the Babylonians. That's, your, that's the history lesson. But when they did that, um, for political and economic reasons, they, so people couldn't reorganize, they took all the people and they forced them to live in different places. They took people from other places and forced them to live in Judah and Israel. So this is called the time period of the exile where the Israelites are living in a foreign land. Okay, so we're in chapter 2. Um, that's just a review of where we are. Here's what it says. Okay, the king of the Babylonian Empire, the one who, the general who really expanded the empire and became king is Nebuchadnezzar. In the second year of his reign, which is 602 BC, that's really important because the prophecy that unfolds in this text has already happened, which makes us like look at the Bible in awe because it's undisputed. Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel chapter 8. They give all these different details of what ended up unfolding in history. So in 602 BC, these words were recorded and said. And over the following centuries, all of the things that were said in 602 BC, they came true in human history. So a lot of prophecy, you know, it's about the future. It hasn't happened yet, but some of it has happened, verifying the reality of God's word and the Bible. This one is amazing. Daniel 2, Daniel 8, and Daniel 7 talk uh, different aspects of these events. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He can't sleep. I'm going to kind of paraphrase some of this text. So the king summoned the magicians. It's a whole chapter. Uh, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Notice he doesn't say the interpretation. He says, to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then he goes, I want you to tell me what it means. Um, now listen, just one note about uh, these dreams. Um, God does work through dreams. There's many times in the Bible that talks about it, but this is a little different, okay? There's God working through dreams, and there's a godly thing there, but then there's a pagan evil thing there. And the pagan evil thing there is when you look at anything else other than God to try to get revelation or information, okay? The Bible condemns, just, just, just want to tell you, the Bible condemns tarot cards and fortune telling. It condemns it. It says, look, that's not my will for you. And look, you might even think out there, you might be, you know, Western world, you know, scientific person, great. And you might be going, it's all a scam anyway. What if, it's, what if some of it's not? And there is some information. That's even worse because it's not coming from God. It's coming from the demonic world. It is a sin. It's wrong. Okay, so there's a difference between, and right here, Nebuchadnezzar is seeking the magicians, the fortune tellers. He's seeking a sinful path for information, not seeking God. Um, and that whole, how, how do we interpret Because everybody was like, well, let's go talk about interpreting Jesus. That's a whole different sermon and very complicated because sometimes God is revealing things to you 
Um, and then sometimes you ate tacos the night before. And it's hard to know the difference, right? So that's a whole other sermon. Okay, so he has this dream, and he doesn't tell them. He, 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 they come and they say, okay, king live forever. Um, um, tell the servants what the dream is, and then we're, we're going to interpret it. Okay, now, now just an interesting uh, FYI about this text. The Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew, okay? New Testament, Greek language because of Alexander the Great and bringing in the Greek language, Hebrew because of the Hebrew people. But chapter 2, verse 4 through 748 of Daniel is written in Aramaic, which is the language Jesus spoke. That was his primary language. Secondary language is Hebrew. Aramaic, because that was the language of the Babylonian Empire. Remember when they came back from exile, they brought Aramaic with them. Okay, so Bible's written in three languages, and this is the section written in Aramaic. Now, um, Nebuchadnezzar says, tell him, I'm going to summarize this. He says to these magicians, uh, tell me the dream. And they go, uh, tell us what the dream is, and we'll interpret which, which anyone here in the room could do, because you're like, I'll just make something up, you know. Oh, you're going to meet someone, uh, you're going to be in love. Uh, it's going to happen in two weeks, you know, whatever. Um, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar says, no, 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 I'm not going to tell you the dream because you're just tell me anything. He, he knows. He goes, you need to tell me the dream. Then I'll know you really know, and then you tell me the interpretation. Well, all the magicians and astrologers, they all go, that's ridiculous. Nobody, and they say that, nobody can do that. Nobody can tell you the dream. That's in your own mind. You need to tell us the dream and we'll interpret This goes back and forth. Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. And look what he says. Nebuchadnezzar gets angry. If you do not tell me what the dream was, then interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble, which if you are a authoritarian dictator, apparently you can do that kind of stuff. You can just kill whoever you want. Um, he's got all the power, and so they respond, nobody can do that. That's impossible. That makes, puts him into a fury. He goes, forget it. I'm going to execute you all. But get this, not just you guys, but all of the wise men in Babylon which is kind of hardcore. I mean, you think about it. Executing anybody, that's hardcore. Executing a group of people, but you know what? Just not, not you. I'm tired of you all. I'm the king, and I'm going to execute all the wise men. That includes the exiles who were wise men, who were, and the wise men are official counselors, uh, and some of them pagans, and some of them not, and, and he's going to kill them all, and kill their families, and destroy their houses, Okay. So, this is bad news. It's bad news um, for Daniel, who is from Judah, and his, 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 the other exiles, who were wise men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they're going to get killed too. So, the commander, whose name is Ariok, he is sent to round everybody up to kill them. The decree goes out, verse 13 says, they're sent to look for Daniel and the friends who put them to death. They're rounding up people. They're, they're tying them up. They're going to have this mass execution. Who knows? Thousands of people. Who knows uh, what, what it's going to be? Daniel asks Ariok, the commander, what's going on? He explains the story. No one, he said this. I don't necessarily agree, but they're going to, he's going to execute everybody. Daniel's like, give me a day. Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, which is, that would be awkward. Like, guys, come here, gather around. Ah, we're busy. No, 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 you need to hear this. They're going to execute us all tomorrow. Okay, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, 
You, you'll see in the book of Daniel these different names used. I thought you were talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this says Daniel, uh, Mishael, and Azariah, and Hananiah. Those were their Hebrew names in Judah, Daniel, uh, Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah, but they were given new names in uh, Babylon. Uh, Daniel was Belteshazzar, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their Babylonian names that, that were given to these uh, men from Judah. He urged them, naturally, to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men. Now, this is a beautiful line, and we could, do, we could spend the whole rest of the time just sitting here, and this could be the sermon. Uh, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. In other words, they prayed, and God revealed the mystery. And when I was reading this, I wrote in my you know, notes in my Bible the question, would God have revealed the mystery had they not prayed? Now, I don't know the answer to that, but my feeling is that I wrote was no. And why do I say that? Because although all over the rest of the scripture, uh, the point is made clear again and again and again that there are so many things in life, and God has created life in such a way that many things will not happen apart from prayer, which is a big deal, which is why we could just you know, make, we could preach like weeks and weeks and weeks on this chapter, stop here, but that's a great question, right? In your life, and this is one of those things we, we all start with, in your life, what, what is God... What, what does he want to do but won't probably do unless you become a prayer, unless you seek him? And the answer is a lot because God's structured life, he's created it in such a way that many things in your life will not happen apart from prayer. One day you'll know, he'll say, here's what would have happened, but prayer. So they pray, God reveals a dream. Daniel goes to Arioch, remember the commander, he says, don't, don't kill everybody, don't kill anybody, uh, bring me to the king, I, I know what the dream was. Arioch brings him to the king. It's an amazing thing too, because remember, you know, in world history, we, we have the story of salvation in the Bible, you know, it's, kind of, it's focused on the nation of Israel, but there's all these clues all throughout the Bible where we see God working, and he works in the Assyrian Empire. Jonah was sent to the Assyrians. In Nineveh, that was their capital. And, and Daniel here in the Babylonian Empire and all over the world. And, and the point is, uh, we have t what we need to know in the Bible, but we don't have everything God could have told us. There would be volumes and volumes of books that show the work of God and all that he did all throughout the world and all throughout world history if we had that. It's just interesting to see that here, that this is what God is doing in the Babylonian Empire. And he goes and he, 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 he reveals himself to the king of the Babylonian Empire. So, the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, okay, that's his Babylonian name, are you able to tell me what I saw in the dream and interpret it? Remember, he's going to kill everybody, and I would not have, this would not have been my first word if I were Daniel. I would have been like, yes, 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 calm down, calm down, calm down. Let me explain the whole thing. Yes, don't kill anybody. But his first word is, no. Are you able to, no. But, no man, wise, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. No man can do it, sorry. But because it's all about God, Daniel gets it. He knows God is working, not just in Daniel's life, guys. He's working in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He's working in the lives of the Babylonian people who don't know God. They're worshiping all kinds of other gods. Here's a, here's a story here. We don't know how it all affects the Babylonian people. 
But we do know, 600 years later, Babylonians, people from the region of Babylonian anyway, show up in Bethlehem because they saw a star and they're looking for the king, <laughs> the savior of the world, whom they believe the star is pointing to. And this is where they're from. We don't know all the, we don't know all the people that turn to God because of this. We don't have all the info. We have what we need to know, though. So he interprets the dream. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. He's, he's, this is a dream about the future. You dream and the visions pass your mind as you were lying there on the bed are these. And then he explains the dream. He gives the dream first, which is crazy amazing. Like he, nobody's told him. He, God has revealed the dream. Then he interprets it. And that's amazing because we don't always get the interpretation. A lot of times we're kind of left to kind of interpret, but we're given the interpretation. Your majesty looked, and there, here's the dream, and there before you stood a large statue. You can look up on the internet. People have done paintings and things of this, of this vision. But it's basically a big statue made of different metals from more valuable to less valuable. So there's this big statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head statue was made of gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching the cut, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue, so this rock cut out of this mountain comes and strikes the statue, smashes it to pieces. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff. Poof, you know, it was destroyed. On the threshing floor in the summer, the wind swept them away and without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain. The rock grows into a mountain. In other words, it replaces the statue. That's the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king, which I'm sure the king's freaking out like, oh my goodness, this is nuts. Uh, you know, you're, wow, that's exactly what I dreamed. Now, I'm going to read to you the interpretation. Look in your note sheets. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to outline what this dream meant and what unfolded. Guys, what unfolded in human history? Now, if you read Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and Daniel 9, Daniel 7 and 9 give way more information. Daniel, I mean Daniel 8. Daniel 8, specifically about one of the kingdoms that this dream reveals, gives very specific information about how the you know, in 331, when Alexander the Great rose to power and what happened to his kingdom and how it was about it, it's crazy stuff. It all happened. So here, here's what it is. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion. Basically, you are that head of gold. So the first, the head of gold is the Babylonian Empire, 605 to 539. After you, another kingdom will rise inferior to yours. 539 B.C., um, the Medo-Persian. Medo is the Medes and the Persians. Here's what happens. If you looked at that map, you have Assyria kind of mostly kind of Turkey, but over into Iran, Iraq. The Babylonians mostly in the middle Iran, Iraq. The Persians came from farther east. They destroyed the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians. So the Medes were the kings first. Then the Persians... Um, in that coalition took over the throne. And again, Xerxes from the movie 300, from the book of Esther, you know, that's the Persians. So they are the silver. 
a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Who did that? Alexander the Great. Brought the Greek culture over all. That's why there's a country or a city in Egypt, Alexandria, because Alexander the Great takes over the whole world. The Greek Empire, 331 to 168. That's, then, and that's the bronze. Then the iron legs. Finally, there'll be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. Who was that? It was the Romans. 168 to 476, the Roman Empire didn't end in 476. It split in two. Just like the prophecy says, that's divided Rome. Just as you saw the feet and the toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, this would be a divided kingdom. Just as you saw the iron mixed with clay, this is verse 43, so the people will be a mixture, will not you remain united. They didn't. They, they had civil war. They broke in two. Um, the east went on for a thousand more years than the west. It was divided in 476. In the time of those kings, in the time of that final empire, which is the com combination of the, the, the feet and the legs, okay, the iron and then the iron clay. Listen to this. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. When did God send Jesus, the king of kings? During the Roman Empire, just like the prophecy says. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. It becomes a mountain. And then this is where theology gets a little tough. You're like, wait a second. I mean, is Jesus reigning right now? Because I'm seeing all this killing and junk and injustice and craziness in the world. Right. Exactly. So Jesus comes. He dies and he rises. And the scripture says all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth. Now we live in this time period where there's two things going on at once. Jesus is on the throne but, and the scripture says this in 1 Peter and a couple other places, God doesn't end things right now out of compassion, wanting people to choose him. And all who choose him, they live with God forever. They go to heaven. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ. And so you have this parallel thing happening. Jesus is on the throne, but God is allowing for this time period in history where we are right now for people still to choose. And when, because they can choose, you know, Nations and kings and individuals can choose to do evil. You can, all that happens, and then here, when Jesus comes back, that's over. That parallel time is over. History is over. It's only Jesus. Forever comes, and when forever comes, it's forever. And so his kingdom lasts forever. And we look at this, and we're like, man, this is going on a long time. But when we're in forever, this is not going to seem like a long time. This whole history thing, we're going to be saying the opposite. We're like, history was kind of short compared to forever going to be a million years and forever. Remember history? Kind of. It was kind of short. Remember your life? Yeah, I kind of remember it. It was kind of short. This is called the now and not yet kingdom of Jesus. He's come, but we're still allowed to choose for a time period until he comes back. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands. That's what Daniel says. It's, he's going to send... He's going to send his king during the time of the Roman. Maybe this is partly what the, the Magi read. He's going to send, here, the, the fourth kingdom is here. They're going. This is the fourth kingdom. Something's going to happen. They're looking for the rock not come out, come out of, cut out of human hands. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. It's interpretation trustworthy. Wow. Amazing. Then this is amazing, which we, we have a hard time grasping this, but the king, Nebuchadnezzar, falls prostrate before Daniel. A, the king of the Babylonian Empire, the greatest empire in the world, I mean, the, taking over the whole known world, he makes a confession. 
Surely your God is the God. He falls before this nobody, this refugee from Judah, falls before him, this king. Surely your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. You were able to reveal this. It's, it's a crazy thing. We don't know. Again, we don't, we, this continues to happen. God continues to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. Think about it. Not just for his own sake to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar so he can be in forever with God. We don't know where his life ended up. We know it took a lot more as we read the rest of Daniel. But we don't know how this affected the Babylonians and the Babylonian Empire and how the influence of these texts and these events turned people towards God. We don't know all of that. We know, though, that this, things like this prophecy had spread in other places in the world so that even during the time of the Roman Empire, they were expecting a Messiah to come out of Rome. What do we do this, with this today? Is this prophecy, wow, and all this stuff unfolded and it predicted the, the Persian Empire, it predicted the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, it predicted the Roman Empire, it predicted the division of the Roman Empire, the East and the West. What do we do with all this? Well, first we say, what did it do? What did it do for the people at the time? It did, or it was intended to do, whether how much people took it or not, just like we have a choice here today, it's intended to tell people what's going to happen so they know what to invest in and what to rest in. Think of how hard it would have been for the king of the entire known world who's all-powerful. And think of his perspective on life. I'm up here. I've got everything. I'm all-powerful. People aren't really, other people aren't really as important as me because, I mean, I really got everything and I must be, I must really be important in reality. And so, you know, whatever I do, I can kill people. I can do whatever I want. Um, you know, I'm investing in building this and taking over nations, building. I'm resting in the reality that I must be important. Um, I mean, think of, think of how that needed to change. The reality that, no, you're not more important than anybody else, and you are going to be judged just like everybody else. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ just like everybody else, and, and what you do with your resources for God in your life affects, you know, your forever and you know, what you invest in and what you rest in, I mean, that's everything. And that is the question for us. What did it mean to him tells us what it means to us. The question for us, when we read prophecy, when we know what's going to happen, we know this kingdom is forever, we know forever is coming, and when forever comes, forever is forever. Take like 15 minutes sometime in the next month and just think. Forever is coming, and when it happens, it will be forever. Hard to get your mind around that. That makes us ask the two questions. The two most important questions a human being can ask. What am I resting in, and what am I investing in? What am I resting in means where are you placing your hope and your identity? Where is your peace coming from? Because there's only one thing that can bring peace, and that's if you know what's going to happen to you in forever. If you don't, you either have to like just put that out of your mind and just deny it and just, man, i just going to have to say this is the only... Man, that is a scary thought. And the scripture says everybody spends forever somewhere. But God doesn't want people to have fear he wants them to do something about that reality. He wants everyone to be with him in forever. And so he's revealed 
Not only that forever is coming, and everybody spends forever somewhere, but he has revealed clearly how to be with him forever in heaven. And the only way is to rest or put your trust in Jesus. And what that means is you're resting in the reality. This is a summary of the gospel. You're resting in what Jesus did for you. You can't rest in what the temptation for all people to rest in is, which is I'm going to rest on the reality that maybe my good outweighs my bad, but when I really think about it, I don't know if it does, but I'm hoping it does, and I'm not an axe murderer and all that kind of stuff. God says clearly, the only thing to rest in, because nobody is good enough, nobody in the room here is good enough. There's some good people and maybe not so good people in here. Who knows? It doesn't matter. Nobody is good enough. You have to be forgiven for your sins to be with God forever. So the way you do that is you put your faith in Christ who paid for your sins. That's what it means to rest in Christ. So if you're a believer and you have put your faith in Christ, there's been a point in your life where you've made a faith decision and you've said, I accept Jesus. I'm, I accept what he did for me on the cross. I believe that he died and rose. You are resting in the reality that you're saved. And so your peace comes from that. Your identity comes from that. Your identity doesn't come from, you know, whether you're a little bit higher in one organization than the other person. Your identity comes in the reality that the Bible says you are a child of God. And that God is working through your life. And really the only thing that's going to matter in forever is God doesn't care where you are in the organization on earth. God cares, you know, what you did for him on this life. That doesn't save you, but he entrusts you in eternity, based on your trustworthiness in this life. So it matters what you invest in, too. You'll get to heaven, okay, based on what you rest in. God will entrust you in forever based on what you invest in. I mean, wow, okay? Here's what I would encourage you to do. If you have put your faith in Christ... Rest in him today. Rest in him. You're not perfect. You never will be. But your salvation, that you're going to heaven, is not based on whether you are perfect or not. It's based on what Jesus did for you. That's hard to get a hold of, isn't it? I mean, I I have to go back to that all the time. Thank you, God, that my salvation is based on what Jesus did for me. If you've not yet put your faith in Christ, God offers it to you. He offers it to you. He wants, he, he compels you. He wants you to be in forever with him. So make a faith decision. Put your faith in Christ so you know exactly where you're going, so you can rest in him. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this prophecy that when we look at it, how does this even affect me, this head of gold and silver and bronze, and yet... It speaks to my core. It speaks to everything I need to hear today. Jesus, you you did the work on the cross. Work that I can't do. Can't be righteous enough. You did the work. So in your hearts, believers, if you put your faith in Christ, go ahead and just tell Jesus in your heart, thank you 
for saving me based on what you did, not based on how well I perform in this life. Just let him give you a little peace right now. And Jesus, man, this is the message for the world, and we know that you've created life in such a way that so many things don't happen apart from prayer, and so we pray right now for people in our life that you will work in their life, bringing them to a knowledge of what Jesus did for them so they can rest, so they can rest in Jesus, so their identity can be changed, so their future can be changed, so they can have really it all. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen.